And as they're going off the stage, let me talk to you for a moment before we're seated. If you watch the news today, read the papers, read many of the magazines that are out there in our culture, there is historical revisionism taking place that's been going on for a long time. There are those who want us to believe that America was not founded on God or Christianity or religion at all, that the founding fathers were primarily secularists who did not have faith in God, who, in fact, uh, envisioned a social utopia without God. And I want to tell you that that is just a total misinterpretation, misrepresentation of the truth. Our country is founded on God and Christianity, and I want to talk to you about that today because as we stand here, America has lost her way, and America is in deeper trouble than I have ever seen. I'm 57 years old as of last week, been around a while, I have never seen America in the condition that she is in. And I'm going to talk very straightforward to you today about it because there is no doubt that we are at the edge of the cliff and only God can turn it back, but God can turn it back. So let me read a verse to you, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Psalms 33, verse 12. And let's just see what the psalmist wrote. It's very simple, very brief. Let's read it together, can we? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now let me ask you a question before you're seated. Is America right now today as we speak blessed or is it seemingly cursed? We are $13 trillion in debt. If you check the internet and there are sites you can go to that show you the accumulating debt per day, our national debt is accumulating three point. 85 billion, billion with a B, dollars per day. There is right now oil spewing into the Gulf of Mexico to the tune of thousands and thousands of gallons, destroying the water, destroying the sea life, destroying the ecology of the Gulf area. It seems to me that America is being spoken to by God. And so I want to take you back. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today for the word of God that is so clear. We are not as those who are in the dark, but you have spoken to us, Lord, out of your word, and it is clarion clear. Now, Lord, help us to hear you and help us to respond to what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, listen carefully before you're seated. In just a moment, I'm going to ask there to be as little movement as possible. If you have children in here, restrain them. If they start giving you a problem, you take them out and minister to them. Do whatever it takes to settle them down. But we need to be able to hear the Word of God today. Thank you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God bless you. It's the 4th of July. This is going to be good. Now, I want to remind us, first of all, let's go ahead and clear it up. Was America birthed by God 
Was it founded by Christians? Is its foundation a godly foundation, a Bible foundation, or is all that a bunch of bunk? Well, no matter what the historical revisionists say, the footprint of God is clearly visible in the founding of America. I'm going to be bold enough to say today, and I know I'm a little biased, I'm a preacher, I'm a Christian preacher, but I can tell you from history that God and the sovereignty of God birthed America. God birthed America. Now I want to take a look back at just a small slice of the countless evidences. This is just a tiny slice, a sliver of the evidences you can find in an honest quest for the truth about the founding of America. But let me just not show you that it was not only founded on God, but it was founded as a Christian nation. Not secular, not religious, but Christian. The first American colony was Jamestown, Virginia. And the first community building in Jamestown was a Christian church. The Christian Puritans who fled England to find religious freedom knelt, praised God, and dedicated the new colony of Plymouth Rock to Almighty God. And they were Christians. Roger Williams, a Christian minister, established Rhode Island. Lord Baltimore held a church service when establishing Maryland. So Maryland was established in the presence of a church service, a Christian church service. William Penn, who many of you, most of you have heard about, who was a Christian Quaker, established seven of our states. Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, Connecticut, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. Founded by a Christian minister. When writing the government policies for Pennsylvania, Mr. Penn made sure that all the treasurers, judges, and all the elected officials professed faith in Christ. Not just God, but faith in Christ. The American Bible Society, get a hold of this, was started by an act of Congress. Boy, would I love to read that to our current Congress. Look how far we have fallen. The American Bible Society was started by an act of Congress and John Adams, our second president, served as the first leader of the American Bible Society. President George Washington wrote these words, quote, it is impossible to govern the world without God and the Bible. You cannot govern a home, a town, a city, a state, a nation, a world, said George Washington, without God and without the Bible, or it will self-destruct. In 1782, the U.S. Congress voted in favor of a resolution recommending and approving the Bible for use in the schools. So instead of the government removing the Bible from schools, they placed the Bible in the schools. Our nation began its educational system on the Bible. Patrick Henry, first governor of Virginia and a member of the Continental Congress, stated, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to be sure you catch that. Because there, Patrick Henry, first governor of Virginia, member of the Continental Congress, 
who was there as it happened, said this nation was founded by Christians, on the Christian religion, and on the gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach. Never forget that, and never be embarrassed to tell somebody who's trying to say otherwise the truth. This is the truth. And I'm glad we're not only going on radio here in the Metroplex, but in Chicago and in other parts of the Midwest. I want to say to you, this nation was founded on Christianity, and we will not allow the historical revisionists to rob us of that truth. It is a fact, so let it be. Our Constitution ends with the words, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. America's motto is, in God we trust. And our pledge is to one nation under God. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeff, if we were founded on Christianity and on the Bible and, and all these good things were happening at the beginning of our nation, then what in the world has happened? Because undeniably, God was involved sovereignly in the birthing of America. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened, and I'm going to track it back. And I want to show you today what I believe to be the true facts behind how we find ourselves in such a position today that up is down and down is up, and right is wrong and wrong is right, and black is white and white is black, and good is bad and bad is good, and righteous is unrighteous, and unrighteousness has become righteousness, and it's like the lunatics are running the asylum. What has happened? Well, it happens, and it has happened because of the way that we've been thinking. Starting around the late 1700s, a sinister and a lethal enemy began to invade our culture. The president of Yale College in the 1790s, Timothy Dwight, who was a committed Christian man, an incredible writer, a great apologist for the Christian faith, saw it coming. Between 1797 and 1800, President Dwight frequently warned large audiences and his students of an infidel philosophy finding its way into American thought. Infidel meaning godless. Finding its way into American thought. The culprit was the philosophy of secularism. Now, so that you will understand fully what secularism is, let me just tell you the, the dictionary definition. Secularism is the belief that religion and religious organizations should have no part in political or civic affairs or in running public institutions, especially schools. Now that matters greatly. Secularism is also the rejection of religion and the exclusion of religion from a moral or a philosophical system. In other words, our morals or philosophy, the way we view life, the way we view people, what shapes our worldview should not be shaped by a God. So there are no absolute values. In fact, put simply, secularism is the belief that there is no God. There are no absolute truths to guide us, no absolute moral or philosophical truths to guide us. The Bible, say the secularists, is a book of fairy tales for the simple-minded. And real truth, genuine truth, is arrived at by the power of our own reasoning, not by revelation from God. Secularists 
who walk in secularism envision a utopian society void of God, void of prayer, void of the Bible, where the only truth is what we can arrive at through our five senses, not revelation from God, which we must have or we are sunk. Now imagine that secularism is like a philosophical plague or virus. This philosophical plague, this line of thinking, first established a beachhead in the universities of that time, then crept into the mainstream of American thought. Princeton, Yale, Harvard, those great early universities were all established by Christians, by Christian men for Christian causes, and they've now all shipwrecked on the rocks of secularism. Jesus said, beware, a little leaven will eventually leaven the whole lump of dough. Now what is that saying? He's saying that when you receive a thought, let's say a thought about God, and let's say that thought is negative, let's say that it's unbelieving, let's say that you believe that God is a bad God, an evil God, a mean God, and that he's not merciful, compassionate, or healing, or redemptive, or restorative. That affects your whole view of life, your whole view of everything. You can't go to that God and pray because you don't believe He cares. What you receive into yourself as a belief system eventually colors everything in your life. It leavens the whole lump. This is exactly what happened with America and the philosophy of secular humanism. Now I want you to hold that thought a moment. And if we were to go back to the early days of our founding and take a look at the school books that were taught to our children, you would be amazed, I was amazed when I saw one, to find that what they learned about the Bible was on the level of what a doctor of theology might study today. I said a doctor of theology. These little children in the founding colonies of our nation were taught the Bible. In the New England colonies, parents believed that their children should learn about Christianity. Christianity was the foundation from which sprang all other education and learning. It was the bedrock foundation of all scholastic pursuit and understanding of Christianity. To that end, parents taught their children to read so they could read the Bible. And most children in those days learned to read by reading the Bible. The cornerstone of early American education was this belief. Children are a heritage from the Lord. And the most important education they could ever receive is a fully orbed understanding of the Word of God. And that is so true today. The foundation of all genuine wisdom, knowledge, and understanding is right here in this book. It's right here from Genesis to Revelation. If you will base your life on this book, you may have an IQ... Far below average, but you will be wiser than some brilliant people who live doing stupid things because they're smart but have no wisdom. So I want you to have an understanding today that as our, as our country launched with those original 13 colonies, their children were taught the Word of God. They considered the highest level of education to understand Christianity and the teachings of Jesus Christ and the teachings of the Bible. That was the summit of learning. 
Between 1740 and 1776, in the signing of the Declaration of Independence, instruction to children was offered in Latin, Greek, mathematics, surveying, navigation, accounting, bookkeeping, science, English, and contemporary foreign languages for children. Look at the education now. We've got people graduating college that can't even read or write. Something drastic, something tragic has happened to the educational system of America. Well, what was it? Well, all of these things that I've just read to you, this bedrock foundation of Bible understanding and Bible learning and dedicating the nation to God and to Jesus Christ and Christians serving as the politicians. This was all targeted for attack by Satan, the father of lies. And let me tell you something. He's after the mind of people. And he targeted the children. He targeted the children and he targeted the universities because the devil knew what a lot of people even today don't understand. If he can get into the seedbed of your thinking, if he can affect the way you think and the way you view the world and the way you view God, if he can remove absolute truth and replace it with situational ethics, he can bring a nation down, rotted from within. As toxic secularism marched on, a steady erosion in learning and faith in God began to take place in this country. Hear me carefully, because if you want to know what the culprit is, I'm telling it to you right now. How did we get where we are today? How did this possibly happen? That if there's not an intervention of God, within the next 12 to 18 months, we are going to be officially bankrupt and owned by somebody else. How did that happen? I'm taking you back to the origins. Toxic secularism. Secular humanism. Godlessness. Throwing the Bible away. Saying we know better than you. Those great early universities that I've mentioned, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, established to train ministers, established to train preachers and teachers of the Word of God, were finally seduced by the sirens of secularism. And through the years, Americans drew further and further away from God and His Word. It was very incremental. It was the classic frog in the boiling water didn't happen overnight. It took years. It took decades. It took a couple of generations. As America abandoned its Judeo-Christian values, our nation's foundation began to fracture. David the psalmist asked this question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, there is a certain helplessness that comes into the situation where the foundations of a thing have been destroyed. If a house is built on a bad foundation, what do you do when it begins to cave in because the foundation is bad? Over time, lots of time, this slow and steady tide began to turn into a rushing river, a flood. It's a flood today. We're in free fall today. Below us is the abyss. So, Pastor, you're talking pretty serious. It is serious. And it's time we get serious. This rushing river, this tide, opened wide the floodgates to other secular philosophies like Darwin's theory of evolution, socialism, Marxism, 
and godless Freudian psychology. And as we sit here today, the shadow of socialism is moving over this country as surely as I'm standing here. Where government wants to rule and control everything you and I do. Control our spending, control how much we can make. We are about to be taxed into oblivion. Somebody needs to inform Washington that you can't spend what you don't have. That we got to start cutting spending. What has happened, you, you almost have to come to the conclusion that it's being done intentionally to bring this nation down to its knees, to change the infrastructure of democracy and capitalism as we have always known it. Because any kindergartner could look at the way the finances are being handled and say, if you keep doing that, you're going to run out of money and you're going to be broke and someone else is going to own you. Well, as all of this tide continued, secular humanism, Freudian psychology, the idiot theory of evolution, as this continued and we started releasing children into society who believed that they just happened as an evolutionary process and were not created by God or special. By 1962, the time was ripe for Satan to bring about the greatest coup in the history of our young republic. And the coup was this, the removal of prayer, and with it, Almighty God, from our public school systems. I want you to listen carefully to me now. In my mind, in my thinking, this is where America turned. This was the pivot point. There were things leading up to it that I just shared with you, this march of, of secularism, this march of godlessness. But in 1962, there was a shift in this nation. There was a turning. We took the wrong road. And we decided in all of our wisdom that we could not allow the children to pray in school anymore. And with that, the Ten Commandments were soon taken off of the walls. The Supreme Court had ruled that school prayer amounted to state sponsorship of religion. And what was this terribly offensive voluntary prayer that schools recited that 39 million children prayed every morning before class. Here's the prayer. Just think if they could pray it now. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee and beg Thy blessings upon us, our teachers, and our country. Amen. Now think about that. 39 million children were told to stop praying that prayer. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee and beg Thy blessings upon us, our teachers, and our country. They were silenced. 39 million prayers a day. Silenced. Can you imagine for a moment with me if tomorrow we could kick that back in? And 39 million children would say, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee and beg thy blessings upon us, our teachers in our country, I think we might have revival. The Bible warns that he who sows the wind will reap the whirlwind. What you sow, you will reap. You know, Kathy and I, I've told you, we have bird feeders in our backyard. We love feeding the birds, watching them, and it's just something you do as you get older. <laughs> anyway. I, I moved a bird feeder. I moved a bird feeder from one location to another. 
and, and I put it where there's grass. And so I noticed today I was out on my patio and I was reading the Bible and praying for these services today. And I noticed, what is that stuff growing underneath the bird, or the bird feeder, that weird-looking grass? I said, man, I need to talk to our lawn guy. And then it occurred to me, right above it was bird seed. And it hit me. What you sow, you grow. And I sowed bird seed. Now I've got this stuff growing. I don't know what it is. But it's there because of what was sown right there. And folks, you can't sow secular humanism and godlessness and immorality and not grow the same thing. A cursory scan of America's history since 1962 abundantly testifies that this single act of removing prayer and God's commandments unleashed on America a catastrophic whirlwind of immorality, vice, disease, poverty, and many other ills that our nation has never recovered from and without a move of God, never will. First, since that 1962 court ruling banning prayer, American schools have come under a curse. They have declined. Check it out for yourself if you want to. It's easy to find out. Before 1962, school administrators had never had to worry about violent outbreaks of murder and mayhem, kids bringing rifles and semi-automatic weaponry to school. It was unheard of. It never happened. In fact, check it out, in 19, or before 1962, the top offenses in public schools were these. Talking, chewing gum, making noise, running in the halls, getting out of turn in line, wearing improper clothing, and not putting paper in wastebaskets. Oh, bring it back, God. But after prayer was taken and the commandments were moved from the walls of the schools, check it out yourself. Polls among educators listed the top offenses in public schools after 1962 as the following. Rape, robbery, assault, burglary, arson, bombings, murder, suicide, absenteeism, vandalism, extortion, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, gang warfare, pregnancies, abortions, Runaway STDs. There is a reason God instructed His people to fix my word in your hearts and minds. Teach them, God said in Deuteronomy, teach them to your children. Teach them to your children. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So that every time they walk in, they see the Word of God. God said to them, when you sit down with your children, quote the Word of God. When you go for a walk with them, quote the Word of God. When you're spending time with them, quote the Word of God. Why? Because the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the heart left to itself will walk away from God, will go into the darkest of sins. There is nothing the heart without the Word of God will not do. So God said, I want you to keep my Word in front of the eyeballs of your children. And so we take the Word out of the school. We take prayer out of the school. And when the Word went out, metal detectors came in. 
the Bible says professing themselves to be wise, they have become fools. And what about the nation as a whole from 1962 to now? Well, here's some stats for you. From 1962 to now, premarital sexual activity has increased over 200%. Pregnancies to unwed mothers went up almost 400%. Sexually transmitted diseases went up over 200%, and that's not counting the many different ones that have been spawned since the onset of the so-called sexual revolution of the 1960s. The number of suicides have increased over 400%. Divorce has gone up almost 120% in the United States of America. Single-parent families have risen to 140%. Unmarried couples living together has increased over 300%. Adultery has increased nearly 300%. And listen to this now, very interesting to me, natural disasters in America, acts of nature, so-called, have increased 400% in the last 20 years, and 5% every year since 1960. Since 1962, American culture has also seen a rise in religious persecution. Has it occurred to you that right now we're fighting for my liberty to stand up here and preach the Word of God to you, and your liberty to gather and listen to the Word of God and worship God the way you want, the way you like? You better wake up. If you think it can't happen here, it's already happening here. Hate crime legislation has already happened that can make it a crime for me to teach Romans 1. If you think it can't happen here, my friend, I'm here to tell you it's already happening here. And we better wake up, stand up, speak up, pray up, and do something while we still can. I never would have thought when I started preaching the Word of God when I was 18 years old, never did I dream that I would see a day when people would be arrested and handcuffed and taken to jail in America like happened a few weeks ago when some Christians went with some simple Bible tracts to an Islamic gathering and the police were called and they were taken to jail for sharing Jesus Christ in a totally non-obnoxious, loving, kind, free speech kind of way. They were handcuffed and taken to jail in America. Anti-Semitism, anti-Bible bias, and anti-Christian bias have reached levels that nobody in 1962 would ever have believed. And I don't believe it sometimes when I look at it. In a nutshell, let me tell you where we are. America's foundations... Since this onset of secular humanism in the late 1700s, early 18th century, America has been under attack, and now its foundations have been stolen and replaced with the philosophies of the godless and the doctrines of devils. And I want to tell you today, church, before I give you what I believe the answer is, national socialism with its resultant loss of our freedoms and liberties, is fast approaching. And there's one more thing I want to say before I get into what I think is the answer, what I know is the answer. I'm so concerned that the current occupants of Washington now have turned on Israel. Let me tell you something. The day we turn on Israel is the day this nation 
is in serious trouble with Almighty God. And we will be judged. We need to pray for, as a matter of fact, on the 25th of this month, I'm bringing a lady, Melba Jo Lee, who's going to sing for us and share a little bit. And she's going to introduce us to a couple of uh, Israeli missions. And we're going to start pouring funds into Israel. Because let me t- we've got to bless Israel. We're going to start giving to missions that are winning souls in Jerusalem and in Israel. Because when a nation, as our nation right now, is trying to divide the land and not standing with the Jewish people, but rather standing with militant Islam, mark it down, God is about to judge us for it. We say, well, Pastor Jeff, what is the answer then? Is there an answer? I mean, you've kind of preached me into the ground today. What is the answer? Well, can I tell you, I believe there is hope in God. Let me say that again. I believe there is hope in God. But I believe our only hope is in God. It's not in a Republican. It's not in a Democrat. It's not in a Libertarian. It is in God. Not just any God, but the God of revival the God of power, the God who sent the Holy Spirit and shook the whole Roman world and turned it upside down, the God who has transformed cultures and societies and peoples and cities and towns and individuals ever since Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that God. He says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, call to me. Give me a call. Just call one nine one one J E S U S. Give me a call. Give me a call. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. You know what? You know what the answer is? You know what God considers the answer to be to the dilemma and the danger and the catastrophe that is coming upon America? God's people. God's real people. God's praying people. God's believing people. The people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, upon whom this nation was founded. He says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, we all know it, but I'm going to read it. We need to hear it. If my people. Whose people? God's people. Who's that? Those who have come to him and said, forgive me of my sins. I receive what you did through Jesus Christ. Lord, come into my heart and be my Savior and Lord. My people. If my people will humble themselves. What does that mean? That just means, Lord, if you don't do it, It's not going to get done. We need you more than we've ever needed you before. Humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their sinful ways. God promises, I will hear. I will hear. Not maybe, not might. I will hear you from heaven. And do what? And forgive your sin, and I will heal the land in which you live. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. It's happened all through the centuries, all the way back to the coming of Jesus Christ, when God's people have prayed in the midnight hour, when it looked like it was over. God has answered. And God has sent revival. He said, I'm going to hear you. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm going to heal your land. 
if you will pray. A sovereign move of Almighty God can still sweep America in answer to a praying church. And I believe that. I don't only believe it, I know it. And I know it because I base it on what this Bible says. I have a challenge for our church. I was watching Charles Stanley last night. I couldn't believe how similar his message was to what uh, I had prepared and was ready to preach today. When he was finished talking about the very same things I've talked about today, he gave his church a challenge that I felt the Holy Ghost come upon me about. I just felt this was a God thing. He said, I'm challenging you, my church, and all of our listeners to pray every day for 140 days. 20 weeks. That takes us through the end of November. He said, I'm going to ask you to take our nation to God every day for 140 days. I'm challenging you to ask God to send revival, to deliver us from the clutches of the enemy that have grabbed hold of this country like never before. And he said, I want you to do it, and if we will do it together and do it nationwide, I believe God will hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. And folks, if we don't do it, how can we ever look at our children or grandchildren and say to them, when, when, they, when, when 70 to 80% of what they make is taken, and they will never have the life we had, they will never know what we knew, they can't, because the debt will be too astronomical. And they may even be under the rule of some totalitarian despot. Because when a nation is totally bankrupt, it's time for the totalitarian despots to step in. They always do. So I'm coming across today with a very strong and somber message. It's time to get somber and sober. I'm challenging you with this challenge. I think it was of God. And our radio listening audience, those of you in Chicago and Wisconsin... Minnesota, everyone listening to me right now, challenge you to pray for 140 days every day. Put a note on your coffee pot, put it on your refrigerator, put it on the oven so you don't forget. You might want to have a little saying, no prayer, no coffee. Oh, I can't even do that. (laughs) No prayer, no breakfast. No prayer, I don't walk out the door. And together we're going to hold this nation up to God. And we're going to believe God to move again. Can you stand? Well, let me ask you this. Don't stand. If you will do this and mean it. Now, don't stand if you don't mean it. But if you can mean it, will you stand? I'm going to say again, if God doesn't move in a year to 18 months, we're going to be bankrupt. It's time to pray. Let's go to him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. We ask you to forgive us for the national sins of abortion, pornography, immorality 
putting a seal of approval on what you deem perverse or mocking marriage for spending ourselves into bankruptcy. Forgive us, Lord, for the day we took prayer from the children and the word from the school walls and reminders of God from society. We kicked you out, Lord. But this church doesn't want you out. And those listening by radio don't want you out. Your people called by your name are asking you right now to move again in this country. To save this country from certain destruction. Turn it before it's eternally too late. We ask you to remind us on a daily basis to do this. To hold this country up in prayer every day. For the next 140 days. And Lord, we ask you to do a wonder and do a miracle and show your strong hand again. As you have done throughout the history of this world. Return us to sanity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise if you believe he hears that. Thank you, Lord.